I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safris, et c'est le podcast du Gidecolo Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. We are quickly closing in on 100 episodes, and I've saved 99 for you for a reason. Keisha Lockett's my guest today. And Keisha and I didn't know each other, but I was on the Luke Story podcast, the Lifestylist podcast, not long back. Hey, Luke. Luke's a friend of mine, invited me on the show. And the first 15 seconds in, he had asked me, he was like, So let's talk about C sections or whatever. And I was talking about why I wasn't so crazy about being a hospital-based OB-GYN. I was talking about all these C-sections and whatnot. He was like, wait a second, you've done a C-section? And I kind of chuckled and I was like, yeah, yeah, like a lot. This was like a promotional video for this huge podcast brand. And of course, that clip got circulated all over. People were reaching out to me left and right. It was really, really fun. But then I saw this clip being circulated on Instagram and TikTok and one of the people circulating it much to the sort of aghast of their audience, was Keisha Lockett, who I don't think she had any bad intentions whatsoever. But from a 15,000-foot view, here's two white guys just laughing about something that's super, super important in women's health, which is our incredibly high C-section rates. And the clip taken out of context would make it look like I was laughing about how casual we are about doing C-sections, how cavalier And so I reached out to Keisha and I was like, listen, Keisha, I don't know who you are. I don't know about your audience or whatever, but this is a misrepresentation of who I am and what I do. And I encouraged her to listen to the episode. And like a person in true integrity, she did. And she reached out to me and was like, holy shit, I am so sorry. She took the post down. She created a new post to reframe it. And I just think that that shows so much integrity in a world that is begging desperately for more integrity, especially in podcasting and through social media. So she and I started exchanging information. I gave her my number. We got on the phone and chatted. And I said, why don't you come on the show? Let's talk. And so we did. And Keisha is a doula in the Atlanta area. She's black and her Instagram handle is Empowered Black Doula. So she comes from a very, very different place than I do culturally and through our life experience. And she's serving in Atlanta, a largely black community. And I I thought, wow, given that maternal mortality amongst black women having births in hospitals in the United States is far higher than white women, still an absolute low risk, but frankly, (laughs) the data doesn't lie. And the fact that so many women, black women, or women of color in general, have apprehensions about going to the hospital because they don't know how they're going to be treated, how they're going to be spoken to, if they're going to be respected, if their birth plan is just going to be laughed at. Although most hospital-based practitioners are laughing at birth plans anyways, if my experience within the hospital system is any reflection. And that experience, I think, working with black women and being a black woman herself, navigating a healthcare system that's still passes around messaging like, oh, you know, black people don't experience pain like white people. 
they have thicker skin, etc. These are things that I've heard from people very, 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 very close to me. And I think dispelling some of these myths and really creating a dialogue between the system and doulas working outside of the system and people like me who kind of straddle both worlds, I think it's very valuable to this space. I don't hear many conversations like this. So it's a little bit of a roller coaster, and I really appreciate you tuning in for this one. This is, I think, a very, very important episode, and I'm very grateful for Keisha spending some time with me on this day. In order to make these episodes happen, we can't do it without our sponsors. The first of the sponsors for this episode is Full Well Fertility, hands down the best prenatal vitamin on the market. The right proportions of things like folate, vitamin B, vitamin D, iron, all of the important nutritional stuff packed into one vitamin, which was developed, the formula was developed by a registered dietitian, a friend of mine, Ayla Barmer. The entire manufacturing process is overseen by her. You know that there's not extra junk added. There's not artificial food dyes, artificial sugars, all of that stuff. This is straight up nutrition. It is the best insurance policy you can invest in on top of an already healthy lifestyle to ensure that you and your baby are getting adequate nutrition. Because the baby, the baby's probably going to get great nutrition inside your womb as it's growing. The problem is the baby has their mechanisms within the pregnant body, whereby the baby is going to get optimal nutrition at the cost of the woman who's carrying the baby if the woman isn't paying close attention to her nutrition. So Full Fertility is the only prenatal vitamin I recommend. They also have a men's virility vitamin. Men, 40 to 50% of the time when our partners are struggling to conceive, it's on you. You've got low sperm count. Even if your doctor has told you it's normal, it's normal for now. 50 to 100 years ago, you would have had five times the number of healthy, well-formed, strong swimmers. I'm talking sperm here in your ejaculate. And so even if you have 20 to 30 million, they're like, it's normal. You can get that number up. You can greatly improve the likelihood that you and your partner are going to conceive in the near future. If you guys want to try out Full Well Fertility, go to fullwellfertility.com, use code BELOVED10, you will save 10% on all of their products. They also have a fish oil, nourish nerves, tonic, nerve tonic in order to balance out your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. Can't recommend these guys enough. Thank you, Ayla, for continuing to support the show. The next sponsor really needs no introduction, Organifi. Gosh, what an incredible lineup of products Organifi has. I start my day off with their green juice, then about midway through the afternoon, I'll start on their red juice, and then I move into their gold latte. Their gold latte is amazing. It's turmeric rich, loaded with antioxidants from their curcumin, which comes from turmeric. You've got several varieties of functional mushrooms. It's all blended up nicely with coconut milk and some hot water. Bam, you've got your evening latte. You can rest assured you're getting tons of nutrition and you're going to be easing right into sleep. They've got some magnesium in there. They got lemon balm. It's just a beautiful blend that Drew Canola and his team at Organifi have put together. Their green juice, their red juice, that's how you're going to maximize your phytonutrients. A lot of your B vitamins are going to come from there. All of their products are loaded with non-GMO, organic ingredients. You don't have to worry about glyphosates, none of that. Like this product line was developed through the lens of a truly nourishing and let's say toxin-free way of living. And Drew and his partner Bailey, who I've had the uh, pleasure of hanging out with for a day at their their house down in uh, Murrieta area, California, they are living proof of just 
what a truly holistic embodied life can be. If you want to try any of Organifi's products, like I said, I mean, I've got like every one of their products here. After their workouts, I take their protein powder. I mean, they've got everything you need in order to add some extra assurance that you're getting fully nourished during your day. Go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on anything in their store as a listener of the podcast. Next, of course, bioptimizers. I talk about their magnesium a lot. One thing I haven't talked about is the role of magnesium in limiting, let's say, reducing the likelihood you're going to develop a hypertensive disorder in your pregnancy, including preeclampsia. Magnesium has a wide variety of benefits in the body at the cellular level. You're going to be optimizing your nutrition by taking a healthy magnesium supplement. You're also going to decrease the likelihood your placenta is going to have any issues, which can lead to growth issues with the baby, fluid issues within the uterus, and increase the likelihood you're going to be sort of coerced into doing an induction for a you know mild range blood pressures or whatever. So Magnesium Breakthrough is one of my favorite products. I also take it myself because like I said, there's plenty of roles for magnesium in the body. It's also good for sperm health. It's also good for all reproductive functions. I also use it for sleep. It's one of the most neglected aspects of a truly healthy lifestyle is sleep. You know, you can't polish a turd, as I say, and sleep Without sleep, it doesn't matter how much Organifi and everything else you take, you're going to need to get adequate sleep. That is the first step. And it's a step that many Americans are neglecting. So I take two capsules of Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough, about 30 minutes before sleep, 45 minutes sometimes, with a big tall glass of lukewarm water. And it definitely helps me roll into sleep, unlike anything else on the market. It's special too, because it's not just one type of magnesium. It has seven distinct types of magnesium so that you you know that your body, whichever it needs, whichever it does best with, whichever it processes best, you're going to get it in Magnesium Breakthrough. Go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN or use code BELOVED and you'll save 10% on your purchase. They've got plenty of other products, Masszymes, P3OM, HCL Breakthrough. They're Blood sugar breakthrough. These are all products I have on my medicine cabinet as I'm recording this. I'm looking at them there and I'm also thinking, gosh, I'm about to have a sort of a carb rich, maybe a little heavier, richer dinner today. So I'm going to pop two capsules of Masszymes, two capsules of their blood sugar breakthrough. Voila. You've got yourself easy digestion, maximum nutrient absorption. You're not going to wake up feeling groggy and bloated and all that other stuff. So again, that's bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN. You'll save 10% on your purchase. I think I've talked enough. We'll be talking a little bit more about sponsors later, but for now, I just want you to sit back, enjoy maybe a warm mug of Organifi's gold latte, and enjoy my conversation with Keisha Lockett, the empowered black doula. Keisha, welcome. Keisha Lockett, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Nathan, for having me. It's a real pleasure. Before we get going into how you and I got to know each other, tell us about your first name, Keisha. (laughs) (laughs) It's spelled in a little bit of a different way than many people might. I don't know. Maybe they haven't seen it spelled that way, but I nailed it when I pronounced it right. Tell us about where your name came from. Yeah, you did it right. But a lot of people pronounce my name Kashia because of the way it's spelled. My mom actually named me after Rudy from the Cosby show. And she spells her name the exact same way that I spell mine. So that's where it came from. Rudy from the Cosby show. I mean, that was like everybody's favorite show growing up. Now, like he really Cosby'd himself. And now we're kind of stuck just remembering how 
great those days were. Wasn't he a doctor? He was a doctor, wasn't he? Or a, wasn't he an OBGYN? <laughs> Go figure. Wow. Perfect. That's a perfect little addition to the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> that sounds like, you know, like they do trivia at bars. That sounds like one of those questions that would come up. Like, what was Dr. What was his Cliff Huxtable? Cliff Huxtable? Yeah. What was his profession? OBGYN. I would know that one. Great. And you would too. And anybody listening is going to know that now. So Keisha, we met because I was on a very, very big podcast called Luke Story, the Lifestylist podcast. And the very first thing that the host asked me, Luke Story asked me was, he asked me like, you know, about what got me out of the system. That's what everybody asks. And I don't do C-sections. I don't do hospital-based birth anymore. I'm all home birth, full bore, like all inclusive, come as you are. But in that description, I described how I wasn't really happy with the process of C-section. I wasn't happy with the chit-chat that was happening while a woman is giving birth through her abdomen and a sheet is two inches from her face and she's got all these meds flowing through her and her partner's dressed in like a rabbit suit, we called it, you know? And it's just not a comfortable place. Like, let's get in and out. I don't want to do this. I hate doing this surgery. And I don't even agree with the indication, the reason you called for this surgery. So the host stopped me and said, wait a second, you've actually like, operated? You've actually gone into a person's belly? Like, I guess he just wasn't totally clear on what an OBGYN does. And I laughed. I was like, yeah, like a lot. I think that's exactly what I said. And that clip started circulating. And then I, you circulated it. And I said, hey, that's not at all what, I, what we were talking about. But we'll talk about the dangers of TikTok and social media and whatnot. Can we just address the elephant in the room and just talk about how these things maybe happen? Yeah, absolutely. So... I found that small clip of a video from another doula's page. And when I saw the clip, it took me a minute to even post it because I was looking for where the original content was because I like to see the full context of a message before actually saying anything. And I couldn't find it. I mean, it's funny because after I posted it, another doula that I know was like, hey, that's Nathan. He has a podcast and she gave me the information of where you were. So I probably could have gotten that information had I posted it like in my story or something. At that time, I wasn't really thinking like that. So when I saw the message, it took me a few days, I posted it. And then that's when you found it on TikTok. And what it made me aware of is how easy it is to take things out of context when you just post that small snippet of a message without posting the remaining of it or without watching the full episode or something. And I definitely want to just thank you for like holding me accountable. I'm a very self-aware person. I'm all about growth. I really appreciated it so much when you sent me a message like, hey, you know, that's not okay. This is taking, you know, how you said it. But yeah, yeah. But I really appreciate that. Well, I think it takes a very special person to also receive that type of feedback and then to have to say, crap, I could have done that better or whatever. So I want to acknowledge that. And I don't want this to be like a punitive sort of exchange. It's just like, I'm so glad that you heard me. I felt like my feelings were a little bit hurt. It was like, gosh, I can't believe this is now being taken out of context. Like everything else is taken out of context. And I want to acknowledge that I think we've all been on both sides of that. I think we've seen something and we circulate it. We don't know where it came from. And people can do incredible things with audio video now. You can take little snippets of audio and put it in another part of the conversation and really make a person look bad. So I'm just so glad that we were able to connect through that. I slipped into your DMs, as they say, and we like kind of hit it off. And I knew after I heard, you know, the type of integrity you bring to your work and 
we'll get into actually what you do next. The type of integrity you must bring into work. I was like, this is a person I need to be close to. Like you are somebody that I am inspired by. And I think you're also probably serving a population that is so desperately in need of more doulas and more midwives, et cetera. So we'll get into that. Before we do though, let's also talk a little bit about, you know, you and I are both on social media through and through. Um, real quickly, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Empowered Black Doula. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, even the title, even your handle alone is like, this is somebody that we need to amplify their voice because you have a range of experience that perhaps, I mean, very, very few people I think are going to have in this space. So I'm so grateful that you came on the show. Real quickly, I also wanted to comment a little bit about the social media world, that if you feel married to social media as your only means of getting information, you need to kind of step out of the box and take what we're saying into context in your own life. Because the way I see TikTok is it's like the dirty scribbles you see on the bathroom wall. And then on Instagram, you have people that seem to be, I mean, they still have that tendency, don't get me wrong, but there's people that are more likely to engage, I think, in an organic conversation. I don't know what it is between the two groups, but have you had that experience as well in social media? Oh my God, you said it perfectly because what did you call TikTok for you page the ghetto? <laughs> <laughs> it's the slums of the social media world. Absolutely, because that's what it feels like. When you post something, you get people from the For You page that comes at you without looking at anything that you post. They start attacking you. They start saying things to you. They take things the wrong way like I did. And they just go full on. Whereas in Instagram, you Mm. can post that same video and you may get people that start to ask questions like, what does that mean? Or why are you saying that? Or whatever the case may be. But TikTok is a whole nother beast. It's so bizarre to me. Yeah. And I think this is actually relevant to the conversation around women's health because these are powerful tools to get Mm -hmm. out important information and insights from the empowered black doula and everybody along the spectrum It's a shame. You know, I was putting a course together recently and the guy who helped produce it, he was like, remember, they just did market research and the average attention span now is four seconds. So in a three minute video, are they going to get four seconds in and they've already got their snap judgment and they're going to say that thing? Does that also mean that we shouldn't be showing up in integrity and that we have to peddle every single word? You know, if we have something that we do think is going to help rise up maternity care in our nation, I don't know, but we have to also be willing to play the game of the four-second attention span. So it's complicated. Maybe you can maybe you can share like a recent experience you had where you shared something and you just got lambasted. <laughs> yeah. So funny is yesterday I actually kind of got attacked by OBGYN. I had posted a video where I was talking about baby aspirin. So they prescribe you this baby aspirin in the post. I said, without telling you how important diet is and without also informing patients of how it increased your risk for postpartum hemorrhage right. and all of those things. So she turned around and she stitched the video and she said um, a whole bunch of other things about how I was basically telling people not to take baby aspirin. And then she also mentioned, oh, you're a black woman and I'm sure you're serving you know, the black community and you're telling black women not to take. And I was just like, whoa. Okay, first of all, (laughs) I had to gather myself because my first initial thought was to really full on just attack. But I knew immediately that if I did not say anything right away, 
TikTok will take over because her video had all st- already started within like 15 minutes, got like 500 views. So I knew that it was going to pick up rather quickly. So I was like, I need to jump on this immediately. So I stitched her and I said back to her, I said, I'm almost positive you got the message wrong. I said, what I was implying was not that aspirin is wrong, but a lot of OBs don't tell people about diet. That's and right. They tell them about a pill that they can just pop, making it think that this is just this magic thing and it's not. And then I also mentioned in that video, because she didn't mention the postpartum hemorrhage part. And I said, you also didn't even mention the postpartum hemorrhage part. And as a OBGYN, I would think you would think it's important that they know the risk and benefits Risks of and everything. benefits of everything. Yeah. Especially a pill, a synthetic exactly. pharmaceutical. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And she was like, she followed up with a video, half apologizing, of course. I mean, I forgive her, but it was a half apology. She was just like, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't get your message wrong. I comprehended it wrong. But, you know, we should collab and all that. Of course, I haven't heard anything about the collab or anything like that, which is fine. You know, people have their own time. But you could have gotten bigger. And then she deleted both videos. And she took some sort of responsibility on that end. But I just didn't want to be attacked, like we just said. TikTok is a whole nother world. So I jumped on it immediately because I just don't have the capacity to be attacked. No, I mean, you've got emotional bandwidth and you're a doula. And are you also a mother? I don't don't think I've asked you. No, not yet. No, not yet. So your emotional bandwidth is most available to your clients. And now you're going to take a piece of that away and give it to this person who left a very reactive, perhaps Mm -hmm. even sensationalized headline. It's sort of like when they say, you know, whatever in the news, like eating poop, gives you wings or something. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, eating poop must give me wings. Like, hold on. There might be some context here to this. Let's not just read the headline, but that's what people are doing to you. And they're doing it to me and they're doing it to everybody out there who's really showing up in authenticity. And I mean, what you said is like, I want to recommend people to this doula. Perhaps there was a different way to say it, or perhaps you weren't complete, or perhaps you're just a dumb doula. I don't believe that you're just a dumb doula though. And what these types of reactive videos suggest is this dumb person couldn't possibly know what I know, a 24-year experienced fellow of ACOG or whatever else these OBGYNs say. So, you know, the other thing I guess about this is that even within the doula community, you know, you have the same credentials or the midwife community or the OBGYN community, whatever. There's this horizontal violence that is just tearing us apart as opposed to building us up and lending our skill set to one another so that we don't have to carry the burden of doing everything, everything in our power. Because fortunately... Keisha's over here doing it for me. Thank you, Keisha. Like, that would be a nice response, but wishful thinking, I suppose, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But I definitely agree with you. I wish that we could all come together. But like you said, I feel like there's animosity on both ends. Some people don't like doulas. Some people don't like OBGYNs and nurses. And it comes off as like, it feels like we're fighting each other and it's so unnecessary because the goal is the number one percent, not hundred one percent goal is to support that mom. And that should be all that matters. Period. Period. Yeah. Well, I love that. Thank you, Keisha. So tell everybody, I already kind of spilled the beans. You're a doula. Tell me a little bit about your practice. How many people do you see? What is like the racial sort of, how would you describe your patient population from a socioeconomic, from a racial, from maybe ethnic, maybe religious? Like, tell us a little bit about who you take care of. Yeah. So... I would say almost maybe 90%, I'm sorry, of my clients are Black women. Did you say 90? I would say about 90% of my clients are Black women. Yeah, I would definitely say that. 
I'd say about a 5% is people of color. I have, you know, some Hispanic clients and that other 5% is white women. But I serve majority of black women, 100%. My entire, like, I'll say before August, well, let's say, yeah, before August of this year, I was pretty busy. I was doing probably like anywhere between five to seven clients a month. I know in your world, that may be like minimum because y'all take so many different. No, five to seven full pregnancies. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a golf clap from me. (laughs) And I was exhausted. I was getting to a place where I was like, oh my God, this is a lot. I enjoyed it so much, but I just needed a break. So after my last birth in August, I took sort of a hiatus I just started taking clients again because I've gotten a break. I don't have anybody I have to go to a birth to. So it feels amazing to kind of like recharge. Yeah. 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 Right on. But I service the black community more than anything. What city are you in? I'm in Orlando. Okay. So anybody in Orlando? Oh, I know plenty of midwives in Florida. We'll we'll be sending lots of people your way. I've got a couple of collaborators in my collaborator program, midwives who work in the Florida area. And what I've heard is Florida is a little bit of a tricky state for birth work. Is that right? Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Like you have some hospitals that are not really, you know, in favor of us during the whole two, three years that we were going through all that mess of a headache of COVID. We couldn't get into one hospital for a while. Like they took us off and made it where it was only one visitor for like a year. Then they opened it up for a small amount of time and then they closed it again. It took them like maybe like a, couple, a few months to even allow us back in. But yeah, it's really crazy. Birth work is pretty interesting. And I don't know where you are, but you can't have twins at home in Florida. No kidding. Yeah, you can't have twins. There are midwives that will do it, but I guess some of them don't want to take the risk. So there are very, very few. And then the person that does it is super far away. She's not even in like Orlando or... Tampa, she's further away from people. So you have to actually like drive. Yeah. You know, one thing that just kind of came up for me was in the state of Florida, are there a lot of births happening at home or are they still, you know, I mean, in most states, it's still mostly in the hospital, but do you hear about the rate of home birth happening more and more in the South? I mean, we're talking about the South. We have some of the worst maternal and neonatal morbidity and mortality data. Is more birth happening in the hospital or is it happening at home in your experience maybe? Honestly, I attend more hospital births than I attend home births. Okay. So I'm going to have to say there's more probably hospital births. And I think a lot of that has to do with not being educated on what a midwife actually does and not understanding that they're just as qualified as an OBGYN to handle your pregnancy. But I have a lot of low-risk clients that just decide to go that route of a hospital because they're like, oh, it's my first time just to be safe not even realizing that a midwife can take care of you even more better because it's going to be more one-on-one care totally, versus an OBGYN, but they just don't understand that. So it's definitely lack of education. It sounds like you mostly are attending hospital births. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay, great. So that's actually a big part of kind of the big bulk of what I want to talk to you about is it's almost like I planned this conversation. <laughs> So I think, let me look real quickly at my notes, but I think that Florida has the highest, I think it's always in competition with the other deep South states. Although Florida, I think people in Florida tend to question whether or not they're the South. You guys are the South based on this data. Yeah. <laughs> Louisiana, Mississippi, and Florida 
have the highest C-section rates. On average, between them, it averages out to 37%. Oh, I believe it. So what is going on? What's going on in Florida? Inductions, whether elective or non-elective inductions, for most of them are not for medical reasons. They are being told that 39 weeks, it's safer to get that baby out because it reduces your risk for a C-section. And then when they end up in a C-section, no answers are being told. So it's that. It's also women not hiring doulas and going into the hospital too early and then contractions slowing down and they're needing to have some type of like intervention done to push labor through and then they're not dilating or whatever on their time. I actually just seen a video where you were talking about that because OBs believe you're supposed to dilate one centimeter every hour. And if you're not dilating that one centimeter every hour, you are automatically (laughs) assumed to not be progressing. So Keisha, let me stop you there. It's actually a little bit more ridiculous than that. The original labor curves actually said you should be dilating 1.2 centimeters per hour. Wow. How is that relevant to anything? 1.2 centimeters per hour. I just wanted to throw that in there, that this is how stuck in the data and so driven by what does the data show? This is what evidence-based medicine has become, that if you don't fit into that 1.2 centimeters, who knows how you assess that per hour? And I'm being a little cheeky because, of course, we're thinking like roughly a little over one centimeter per hour maybe. But the point being that how, how is that number relevant to the practice and to the upholding of natural mm-hmm. childbirth and the physiologic childbirth that we all know is possible. So continue. Sorry for derailing. No, you I mentioned that because I had no idea it was 1.2. That makes it even more ridiculous. Yeah. For first time moms, by the way, that's... Exactly. But like you said in your video, and which I am really, really big on, I care less about centimeters. I care about fetal station. Every time my client is checked, where's that baby? That's we right. need to know where the baby is. I don't care how many, I don't care if she's six centimeters. Where that the baby? baby's floating up in outer space. We're not having a baby anytime soon. <laughs> exactly. And she's 10 centimeters and the baby is a negative three. What does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear a lot more actually about your experience as a black woman caring for black women in such a high intervention, historically very racist healthcare system, which is going to be loaded. So let's pause for a second. For those out there who don't know, you said it's really important that women have a doula. For those out there who don't know what a doula does, can you just clarify that? What is your job as a doula? Absolutely. So we provide emotional, physical, and informational support. So we are there to be a facilitator for between you and your provider to get the questions asked that you may not ask because you're in labor and your partner may not be educated on. But we're also there providing you with the hugs, the love, and the hip squeezes and the back rubs and all those things to help you during labor. So you're an advocate or you're not an advocate? Oh, 100% an advocate. Okay, gotcha. Okay, sorry. I saw you shaking your head. It was a head shake that was like, yes, sorry. (laughs) So advocacy, physical, mental, emotional, perhaps even some spiritual support, which, you know, a lot of women that I've cared for, especially, it's funny, I've had a lot of friends who are doctors and the male doctors who are attending the birth of like their first baby, for example, or their second baby for that matter, they're like, we don't need a doula, I'm a doctor. And I'm like, bro, that is not your role as a doula. 
you are not like a diluted version of an OB. Like you're doing something that's quite different from what an OBGYN does, which is good. Like, thank goodness you're not an OBGYN because we just have more people doing C-sections. And instead, through this type of support, you're actually able to help. I don't want to say cope. You're able to just help kind of equilibrate a person and perhaps the partnership throughout this really challenging journey of pregnancy into birth, into postpartum. Yeah, absolutely. And you want to know what's even funny? I have a lot of clients, their husbands did not necessarily agree with hiring a doula. And then as soon as birth was done, everything was like completed. They were like, Keisha, thank you so much. You were absolutely amazing. And then at the postpartum visit, I had one dad say, you know, I didn't even want to hire you. He was like, I was like, what do we need her for? You got me. And then he was like, <laughs> He was like, I don't know what we would have did without you. You've educated us and taught us so much. I have no idea where we would have been if we didn't have you. So it's just so much that plays into that partner role. And right. I think partner that we're going to be in competition, but I am your team player. So if you're listening, you're in Orlando or you are anywhere and you're thinking about hiring a doula, we are your partner's team player. We are on your team. We are solid. We don't want to be in competition right. with you. Right. We are there for both of you, to be honest. Yeah. You know, what I always tell people, and I granted, I might be sound a little guilty right now because we didn't have a doula. It was just me and my wife doing a breathwork session on our bedroom, like in our bedroom where we conceived and now we're going to have the baby. And we had a midwife, a nurse midwife, and a doctor locally who's who's super super cool. Like we were totally welcome to have her there as an apprentice. Like she wants to start getting into home birth. So, and she's not an OBGYN. She's a family medicine doc who did an extra year of fellowship in high risk OB. So I was like, my wife was like totally, and she just didn't feel called to hire a doula, but that's not because I was going to quote, fix the problem. And I think a lot of men show up in their masculinity, wanting to show up and be the hero, you know, and that's not your role, dad. Like your role is really to hold space for the person that you love the most and for her to feel held and seen and witnessed by you. And that is really, really hard to do. And if you're also being Mr. Fix-It, that detracts from this incredible opportunity to connect with your person in the deepest way possible. So all of that is to say that a doula can step in and be that advocate, be the educator, be the, you know, everything in between. And the beauty of having a doula is if this person isn't doing it right, you can always say, no, thank you. You can always say, doula, I'm done with you. Not that they should do that. But what I'm saying is that you can't fire your husband because he's just Mr. Fix-It and can't get out of that mode versus uh, having somebody there in your corner who doesn't have skin in this game. They are really just there as a hired support person. And that, that drawing those boundaries, I think, actually allows you to step into your doula role in a much more authentic way, as opposed to having to worry about, honey, is this okay? Is this okay? Like enough with the questions. I mean, (laughs) I've seen it so many times. You can just do your thing. You can ask for your consent and this and that, and let them kind of dictate what your role looks like in any given moment. Am I missing anything there? So I feel like I'm talking a lot. It's perfect. But I did want to mention how you were talking about the dad having a deeper connection with the mom. I've been at births and I've heard of people having births and their husbands were like, because they couldn't really be in that role of that deeper connection and they had to be that advocate, they weren't available emotionally for the mom. So I love the way you said that, because if you have a doula, you have this doula that is paying attention. And when I'm in the room, I'm literally listening to everything. I'm watching that nurse as she's talking. I'm watching that doctor as she's talking. And as they're 
speaking. I'm, you know, waiting on them to be done so I can ask a question that the mom or dad may not be thinking about because they're in their mode, they're hugging each other, they're, you know, loving each other and allowing that connection to happen. So I love that you mentioned that because a lot of dads get stuck in that. I feel like it's part ego. It's mostly ego. As I mentioned before, we cannot make a show of this caliber, this quality without sponsors that help keeping the lights on. BirthFit is our last sponsor for the show. BirthFit has an online community and online coaching and lifestyle programming, let's say, in order to optimize all aspects of lifestyle in order to maximize the nutrition and the nourishment that you and your baby are receiving for the nine to 10 months of pregnancy. The owner of BirthFit is quickly becoming a friend of mine because I see her show up in her work the way that Wade Lightheart does in Bioptimizers and Drew Connolly in Organifi and Ayla Barmer through Fullwell. These are all people who realize that there is quite a bit that I can do with my brand that is in alignment with people who really, really care about their health, that want to take responsibility over the things that are in their control in the preconception period all the way up through pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. The really, really special thing about BirthFit is not only are they providing you strength and conditioning programs to optimize your nervous system and helping you understand and strengthen your pelvic floor, but they have a community of women by women to help you integrate all of this stuff, ask questions, get answers, provide insights, share your story. That's at the B community. It's spelled B exclamation point community all through BirthFit. And when you're a member of this community, you're going to get access to exclusive webinars through BirthFit, whereby leading experts, renowned experts in the field of a more lifestyle medicine approach to optimizing your health from preconception all the way through postpartum. And the benefit of being a listener of this podcast is if you use code BELOVED at checkout, you are going to have a free month access to the B community. After that, it's $24.99, but you're not going to want to let that expire. This is a really, really unique opportunity. This is something that is vastly important and in high demand right now. And Facebook doesn't cut it. Discord servers don't cut it. The B community is where it's at. So go to birthfit.com. Use code beloved. You'll get one month free access to the B community. You're not going to regret it. You're never going to look back. And you can thank me later. I am so appreciative of all four of these brands that have made this show possible. All right, let's get back to my conversation now with Keisha Lockett. I just just love what I'm doing here at the show. Men, in our current culture, we've got some deep wound healing, you know, that we haven't actually attended to. And that's where the toxic masculinity piece comes from. I'll share a little glimmer of something that I've been thoughtful about since... A friend of mine, his name's Charles Eisenstein, he was on the podcast not long ago, and we brought up the witch hunts. And granted, through, I mean, this is a largely European, during the 14th to 17th centuries, we're talking about mostly Western Europe that was going through the witch hunts, but it really spread. There was a diaspora of witch hunting as the sort of Christian cosmology started to spread through the Catholics and Protestants. Anyways, if you imagine something that I'm so concerned about in our society is that during those witch hunts, Imagine that me, my wife, Stephanie, and our two little girls, they're two and a half and 10 months. Imagine that somebody across the street accused my wife of being a witch because she has essential oils in her bathroom, right? Effectively, that sounds like witchcraft, right? Way back then. 
And of course, now it's like common to have tinctures and all these potions and stuff. But at the time, it may have been enough for her to go on trial. And then a physician would say, oh, that sounds like witchcraft, not real medicine. It's a self-proclaimed professor of medicine, by the way. And so now my wife is going to be tortured to death and burned in the town square. And I have to stand back with my little girls behind me. And we have to watch mommy die in front of our eyes for fear that if we intervene, then somebody might just merely, they might kill me and they probably are going to kill my little girls, like just off with them. So how many men had to stand back and watch this appalling thing happen? It wasn't every man. I'm not accusing every man out there, everybody listening. I'm saying there was a portion of men who were doing this horrible thing based on the malleus maleficarum, the hammer of witches, and just trying and burning everybody in their sight, millions of women and children. So fast forward maybe seven generations or so, maybe it's more than that, I don't know, three per century, but you get my point, 10, 15 generations maybe, has anything changed that would have stopped this sort of linear inheritance pattern of the trauma, the wound that men carried after having to just stop and not intervene. And now, you know, I think one interesting hypothesis of toxic masculinity is that we puff our chest, we We put our football pads on, we pound the wall when we get mad. Nobody's ever going to do that again, but it's swinging in this other direction where now it's actually becoming pathologic, how toxic this masculine sort of trait is. And it even comes out in birth where the man is like almost yelling at her because he wants her to do this thing. And it's like, dude, like, let's just take it down a notch. And I think when a doula is there as this like kind of moderator, like, hey, you don't need to do that. Why don't you go get her a glass of lemonade and yeah. rub her feet or whatever else? Just to be that moderator helps a person keep that in check. Because I do think it's deeply programmed in us to want to be big and strong and to get in the way. And that sometimes actually leads to, you've probably seen this, you know, an overly protective or a very, very loudspoken male partner who actually causes a rift between everybody on the team and the doctor because they're just too aggressive with how they want to advocate. Sorry, I said a lot there, but anything you wanted to comment on? No, I think everything you said was perfect. It's interesting, like, When you were describing the whole witch trial thing, it made me think about like how generationally like that definitely could have been the reason. But on the like black people in like slavery and watching your wife get raped and all these crazy things happen to your wife, your children being taken away. And like you're right, it does cause some type of generational problems. And and we all are affected by even women. We're affected by some sort of part of history as well. Yeah. I mean, would you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Because the history of gynecology and the practice of midwifery, there's some sordid history there, of course. You know, there are still what used to be called granny midwives. They're now, I think they prefer the term grand midwives, but there are still women who are practicing a very traditional style of midwifery through the lens of their ancestral uh, lineage, you know, that that they brought over during the slave trade, unfortunately. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that history? Like whatever you do know, it doesn't need to be perfect. I just think it's important for people to understand just how rich this history is and perhaps how sorted it is through different lenses. Yeah, absolutely. So there is a documentary called The Business of Being Born where I learned a small book of it. (laughs) Great documentary, but it was a sliver. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more to be said. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But granny midwives were 100% always attending births. Matter of fact, it was only women in the room 
with women giving birth. There were women, they were always surrounded by women. Until some point, you know, we know that hospitals were introduced and things took a turn. Then women were sedated during labor. Twilight. Yeah. 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 Like, which is, I just can't even imagine that now. We know that they were sedated. We know that they didn't get to hold their babies and do skin to skin and do all the things that, you know, we're doing now. But that is like the, what I know about it. And also, oh, let's not get on the history of Black women having to breastfeed their slave owners' babies while their babies starved. And then their slave masters feeding their babies to crocodiles and things like that. And them having to feed someone else's child and not even be able to even have their own it's just so much like it's really, really crazy how much history has affected so much of everything that we go through. But I like that birth is shifting. I really do like it. And honestly, I feel like it's going to get to a place where people stop trusting the medical system as much as they used to because of so much that has happened. I mean, I say this so often, Keisha, but if we're not willing to learn from history, we're bound to repeat it. And it's not like, I know that people love to think slavery was years ago. It's not that bad. Well, we haven't gotten that far from that. We just have different mechanisms of control and oppression, which Mm -hmm. as a white male of privilege, I really can't empathize with. I don't really understand it or feel it. And I think it goes beyond just like, what do they call it? I think it was called like cultural sensitivity training when I was a doctor, where they had to go through a module and it's like, was this an example of racism? And you're like, yes or no? Like, good job. Like, (laughs) this is not enough. I also don't know what would be enough. But certainly as an OBGYN, learning about the history of experimental under no anesthesia, gynecologic surgery on women, uh, fistula repairs, J. Marion Sims, this guy, the father of gynecology. Like, if that's it, then I want to be an orphan. Like, if that's my father... as well as the rich history of midwifery as it's been passed down through, let's just say, African-American families carried over on slave ships. Like, this is an important part of our history. So did you want to comment about the J. Marion Sims thing? No, I was just thinking when you said that, I'm thinking about they were performing these procedures on Black women without medication, any pain medication. Like, we were experiments to them. Right. So, It's just so much that just plays into that. It blows my mind. When you said it, I was just like, oh my God, like I totally forgot about it. It blows my mind. Right. Yeah. And if you guys go out to Wikipedia or wherever and type in J. Marion Sims, he is called, he's known as the father of gynecology. He was super well published. This guy was a very experienced surgeon. And in order to do these experiments, he needed to recruit people who were willing to, I suppose, consent not maybe even knowing what they were getting into without any anesthesia. And, you know, I did have a TikTok post recently about opioids. So let me address this really quickly. We're underutilizing a lot of important pain modalities. We're overcompensating and overutilizing opioids, which if you know anything about the Purdue Pharma scandal and how MS Contin became like a routine household drug based on this fifth vital sign of pain, you have to understand that using an opioid for every type of pain, including post-op pain, is like bringing a hammer to a construction site and thinking you're going to build a house with a hammer alone. Like It shows a lack of understanding of pain, physical, emotional, uh, spiritual pain. Like There are so many things. Trauma-informed care is a big part of this as well. So what I'm saying about the lack of anesthesia is a person underwent 
the knife and this surgeon felt probably, which is still a little thing I hear once in a while, black people have a higher tolerance for pain or whatever else. Have you experienced this in birth where maybe you haven't been able to like understand why is this person being treated so poorly and it's just because of the color of their skin? So with situations like that, it's hard to tell if it's because of the color of their skin because it's never been outright. Sure. But I have had situations where, like I had one situation where afterwards me and the mom, like I feel like we both left somewhat traumatized in that situation. But the mom was so grateful that I was there for her. Like she just was like, I don't think I would have been able to do this without you. She's like, I I think I would have been worse off, you know, if you weren't here. But just to kind of like sum it up, basically, she didn't want IV antibiotics because she was tested for group B strep. She didn't want it. She opted out. They forced her into it. And she ended up just accepting it and taking it, which bothered me so much. She wanted to keep her placenta attached to the baby. And they made a big deal about that. And they A lotus birth. Yeah, a lotus birth. They even tried to threaten her with calling CPS. Just for what? Just for wanting to do a lotus birth and not wanting to take the IV med- pain Same. medication. And it was absolutely horrific. And I felt like hopeless as a doula in a sense, because no matter what we did, they kept coming back with more things, more things, and more things, and more things. Her birth ended up, you know, she had a baby vaginally, you know, all of that, but it ended up not even being what she wanted it to be because of all the things that were going on. And it's crazy because that particular doctor and her team, I've had like maybe two or three births after her and every client has had different experiences with her. This last one, I made a promise to myself that when a client tells me that they have her practice, I just have to tell them the truth. Like I try to be hands off. I'll tell them like, Hey, I've dealt with her before. I don't really care for her too much, but maybe she may be different with you. But I just feel like I have to say something because I feel responsible for putting women through the constant mistreatment and abuse, all of that, when I'm not making them aware that this practice, these two doctors are not good doctors. They are not. And so you carry sort of that burden of like, I wish I could have convinced this client otherwise but they didn't listen to me. And now they're suffering these things that I thought were completely preventable. Right. Well, to a certain extent, because I never want to convince anybody right. anything. <laughs> yeah, of course. I just want to like provide you with the information and you make your own decision. But I think on my end, it's just more so just being upfront and honest and just letting them know like, hey, this is what happened with this doctor. You want to keep her. She's amazing for you right now. Awesome. But I'm just giving you a heads up that she does this towards the end of pregnancy and she does that towards the end of pregnancy, just so they're aware because it happens. And then they're like, what? Why is this happening? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when people say racism doesn't exist and it's like, okay, fine. That's your experience suggests to you that racism doesn't exist. Perhaps you need to get out more or maybe just kind of pay attention more. But, you know, so what I'm doing there is I'm giving the language of like the othering, like, well, you just aren't paying attention, right? And I also, I'm not crazy about Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. Like when I first read it, I thought it was really great. But then it was also like, it kind of fostered this sense that people of color, and I'm not saying just black women, but people of color in general need us white people to lift them up. And that's also a little bit, you know, incomplete. And we can talk about that if you'd like, but I'd be kind of curious to find out. So the reason I brought this up was that 
a particular person that I recommended that book to really, really loved it. And I actually thought this was the right person to read this book. This person is very, very close to me. I don't want to say who they are because I'm a little bit embarrassed for them, but they were a nurse for many years. And not even a year ago, they said something like, well, I can tell you for sure that black women have thicker skin. And it was hard to draw blood on them because their skin was so thick. I'm like, okay, maybe we could say that there's a little extra keratin or something, but that's a hypodermic needle. And it's part of the same narrative that black women have a higher pain tolerance, that they whatever. I mean, you can fill in the blank. Black women have been characterized in so many strange lenses. But when you've been in support of women in the hospital, I guess, let me just say what I'm going to ask. You know, Serena Williams was very, very public with her story about her chest pain and shortness of breath. And she was like, I know my body. I'm a professional athlete. I need some help here. And she ended up having one of the potentially most catastrophic things that can happen to you in childbirth, which is a pulmonary embolism, a big blood clot in your lung that can very, very quickly lead to cardiovascular collapse. So when you hear those stories, why is that happening? Like, what is the thing that we doctors need to be aware of that we're maybe doing consciously or unconsciously that is leading to a higher, we'll say maternal mortality rate amongst black women in the United States? I really feel like the biggest thing that I've noticed is they're not listening to women. And I do want to make note of this because I have a lot of clients that choose a black provider because they think they're going to get different type of care because, oh, this is a black woman or this is a black man and he understands me. They all get the same education. So regardless of if they're black or white, you get the same education. So I really wanted to emphasize that because the thing is, it's like, regardless of if this doctor is black or white, I've seen on both ends how they are not listened to. I've had clients that have had testing their entire pregnancy and they're on Medicaid. So that's a whole nother uh, yeah. issue. But that doctor doesn't even know a cardiologist that she can refer her to on Medicaid. Like the access to care for it to even attend to her. It's just so much, but it's the mainly not listening to them. If somebody tells you they're in pain, they shouldn't have to go to the doctor multiple times, multiple times, multiple times to be heard. They should just be told or, okay, well, let's do this or make these. As a Black woman myself, as being around Black people myself, I've had situations where I had to heavily, heavily advocate for a person because they were not being treated well in the emergency room. And it wasn't until I looked like he said, I looked like I was crying where he actually ran additional tests and thank God he did because he had cancer and they were about to let him go out of the hospital again for the third time, third hospital, third time, third time I was there to push forward for them to test. So I just think it's just so much of not listening, so much about protocols and policies that they follow too much of instead of treating each patient individually. Yes, your policy says that if that person went into the ER, you don't run any additional tests. But guess what? This person's been to the ER three times and they're still in pain and they're still having these issues. What's next? There needs to be just realizing that each person is a human being and not doing what they're doing now. That's our show, everybody. Thank you. That's right. all that we... <laughs> I mean, I'm like sweaty over here. Thank you for saying all of this. Yeah. When we protocolize things, we put them in a box. We treat them the same as everybody else. And without listening and combining not listening with gaslighting, when they do manage to get the words out, 
that is leading us down a path that nobody wants to go to. And I'll go back to my comments about opioids. I am not saying that we shouldn't be treating pain. What I'm saying is you need to ask, where is the pain? What type of pain is it? Is it neuropathic? Is it nociceptive, which is like that dull, achy pain when I punch you in the arm? Is it inflammatory? What has made it better? What has made it worse? This is the first lesson in med school is how to do a pain assessment. PQRST, I think is what it was, something like that. And to believe that perhaps there really is something here that's causing pain. What is the best tool in all of your tools to treat that pain? Is this something that is related to a mental pathology, emotional, you know, an unwell being in any of these energetic bodies? There is plenty of things that you can find out, but you have to be willing to stop and actually hear from your person Mm -hmm. what is going on. You have to be willing to have that conversation. And in this fast medicine style of practice that we have, where we're just demanded more and more productivity, I don't think people are willing to because it takes them off track for their busy day. But I also think, don't think they're incentivized to. It's like, oh, pain, give her a Norco, pain, give her whatever. And that also isn't helpful because like in Serena Williams' case, or you said it was your, who was it that you attended in the ED? It was actually my ex-boyfriend. He ended up having cancer and it took them forever to even find it. It took yeah. like, I want to say like maybe two months. It was like a month, but he had been to the ER multiple times. Right, right, yeah. So, you know, for this person in your life, this loved one, you know, what is causing this pain? Is it possible that there's something you're missing? It requires a little more critical thinking. It requires more time with them, but it's also really, really helpful. And uh, to just have the conversation, to get to know who is this person, what is their baseline comfort level, and what might I be missing? I mean, that is really a full pain assessment, not just, hey, get them on scheduled oxycodone and hope for the best. If you're Serena Williams, just treating that pain is going to lead to death. And that's why it was so good that she was able to go out there and like confront the nursing staff or whoever. But not a lot of people are Serena Williams. I think it's very, very hard to be a person in a hospital, especially a person of color. Yeah, absolutely. I actually had a client that was bleeding during pregnancy. She was bleeding for months And every time she went to the hospital, they would tell her they can't do anything until she's after this amount of weeks. It was like maybe like 20 something weeks or something. It was absolutely ridiculous because she was bleeding and they could not figure out why. And then towards the end, she eventually ended up going in and they had her pumping and she was getting contractions and she ended up having her baby super, super early. So I didn't know that they had her pumping. An abruption is what she had. Yeah. 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 I didn't know that they had her pumping. I didn't know that they had her pumping at all. So I was talking to her and she was like, they keep giving me pain medication. I'm like, why? She was like, cause I keep having contractions. I'm like, are you in labor? She was like, I don't know, but they have me pumping. I said, you know, pumping can cause you to get oxytocin. I mind you, her water had broke. Uh, okay. How far along was she? Like, this is such a crazy story. She was like 20. I want to say she had to be like 25, 26 weeks. She was not that far along. Oh, I mean, there's so many things. We won't dissect it. That's not the purpose of this show, but that just goes to show that like somebody wasn't really thinking about the whole person here. They were dismissive at best. Wow. So much that was going on with her just in general, but if they listened to us more, if they tapped in to the fact that everybody is an individual, stop looking at us all as one person and realize that this person's pain, like you said, may be for something totally different versus this person's pain. So- 
giving somebody some type of opium, like you said, or ibuprofen is not going to be the answer to every single thing. Like you have to do some type of discovery to get down to why this person is having this issue. Right. Totally. 100%. One final question for you. I know you attend mostly hospital births. As far as I'm aware, in most states, we're seeing this shift towards home birth or out of hospital birth, let's say birth center, home birth. You know, we touched on this a little bit. I think that the price point is often sort of out of range for a lot of people because many midwives, you can't really bill your insurance in the same way. It's kind of like a big lump sum of $4,500 or something like that. As we're seeing this shift, why do you think more women, maybe it's not necessarily true that more women of color are seeking out of hospital births, but maybe you can start with that. But why in general do you think people are shifting from hospital is the place that I have to have my baby to maybe having a birth center, a home birth, or maybe even a free birth. And we can talk about free birth after that. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of it plays into the fact of some women have actually given birth in the hospital and they were mistreated and they're like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that again. Or some people just have some mistrust with the actual system altogether. And they just decide to just do home birth because they're like, I absolutely don't want to be there. And you have the percent of people that are just terrified of hospitals, are terrified of what mm. can happen to them if they go into it. It's really all surrounding around trust. They don't trust OB to make sure that they're going to make sure that they live and all these different things because of how the maternal mortality rates are and so many other things. But that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, yeah, I, I think from the hospital lens, I say this over and over, but the doctors and whatnot are like, how could somebody be so stupid to have a baby at home? We've got an operating room here. We can do all these heroic things. And that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I think you need to check your premises here. Perhaps that's exactly why they don't want to be in your hospital. So instead of just assuming that they're stupid and don't know, why don't you actually ask them, what is your concern about being in the hospital? And I'm sure they might tell you, I had a traumatic birth, or I've heard about how horrific induction rates are in my state or whatever. You know, this practice has a really high C-section rate, whatever it is. But only then do you get to know what is a person showing up with? Like, what is their story? I think you nailed it. What do you think about home birth? I love home births. I'm sorry, not I, home birth. I'm sorry, free birth. I'm so sorry. I know you oh, love home birth. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love free births. I think they're absolutely amazing. I had an event this past Sunday and our photographer did a free birth. And she's a doula as well. She's wow. a birth photographer and she's all these different things. So she said she just had her best friend there. And I think her mom or her mom-in-law and her husband or something like that. But I love free births. I think they're so empowering. I think they're absolutely amazing. I think as long as you are educated, that is the biggest thing. Be educated on the entire process. As doulas, we know, you know what to look for because we've seen it before. We've educated ourselves. So if we give birth, free birth, we know what to look for. We know what's going on. We know when to pick up the phone and call them and all these different things. The biggest thing with me with free birth is just be educated. Know what is going on from beginning to end, understanding your body and all those different things and just being aware of it because that's the biggest thing. Because so many things can happen and go wrong and you don't want to be in that situation where you weren't as aware and then something happens. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people that if I was pregnant, which I never will be, I do not have a uterus as far as I know. (laughs) But hey, never say never. If I was pregnant and going to have a baby, I would have a free birth. I don't know why I feel called to that practice. 
And I think there's a lot of people that are educating about free birth that are like, you don't need to know anything. It's just trust in the process. Well, okay, if your goal is to birth in whatever outcome happens, happens, that's okay. That's your prerogative. If you're still hoping to have a healthy, happy baby afterwards and that you're going to survive, it would be helpful to just prepare for that big journey ahead of time as opposed to like, I'm going to jump on that plane and jump out wherever I feel like it, you know? And so I think that that's great advice. I certainly don't have any qualms about home birth, free birth, anything in between. I do think that it requires maybe a little bit more of a conversation than the magical thinking that people put towards it. And people can shame me for that. That's fine. I stand by that though. I think that there's a lot of people out there who are promoting this sort of just trust in it Mm -hmm. process. And then that person has a bad outcome and they're like, what did I do wrong? And it's because this, you know, and they will tell them, you didn't trust it enough. And it's like, what? (laughs) I could have not bled to death. That would have been really nice to know had I uh, just had some information ahead of time. So thank you, Keisha. Uh, One final question. I just completed my Yoni STEAM facilitator training through Kelly Garza, the steamy chick. I'm wondering if you have any insights into V-STEAM, vaginal STEAM, pelvic STEAM, Yoni STEAM, call it what you will, or if it's even a part of your practice. Yeah. So it's not a part of my practice. However, I've done it myself before. I've heard that it's very beneficial with helping with like healing and things like that. So I think it's awesome. It's interesting because I've had Haitian clients. They actually do something like a Yoni steam, but it's not quite a Yoni steam. But you know how like hospital midwives tell you to put something cold in that area? Haitian community, they don't do that. They use hot. Ah, They use hot. I had the client that I had that with her first pregnancy, she said she didn't even bleed that long because of the healing and the herbal things that they use after you give birth. But I love Yoni Slamming. I think it's amazing. It's beneficial for women that have issues like infertility. Yeah. All sorts of things. Yeah. If you have like pain or anything like that, it's supposed to be beneficial for that. It's just so many amazing things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned Haiti because apparently historically, like in Haiti, like yoni steaming is like, it's just like wearing a tampon. Like in the steaming community, there's not a lot of people wearing tampons, but my point being that routine period care is you steam. Like this is what we do before and after our periods. So I found that really interesting in my studies of the practice. So yeah, I was a little bit curious about your experience with that. Keisha, I've taken up enough of your time today. I want to put this out there, open-ended question. What's the number one thing that anybody out there listening can do right now to honor maybe the sanctity of birth or to at least uphold women within our very broken healthcare system right now? Be supportive. Be supportive regardless of what your views are, regardless of how you may feel about their decisions or their choices that they're making surrounding their pregnancy or birth. 100% be supportive. That is like one of my biggest pet peeves. We have so many women that want to do home births but don't do it because their partner doesn't feel comfortable, whatever the case may be, but be supportive and also take yourself out of it because a lot of men don't really (laughs) understand. Like you may be afraid of what could possibly happen. Educate yourself, but understand that your wife or your partner is going to be the one that's going to be on the opposite end of trauma. So hundred percent be supportive. I think that's a lovely final message for everybody. Yeah. Circling back to the very beginning, Keisha, thank you for showing up the way you do in the world. Thank you for caring for a large portion of your community that maybe otherwise wouldn't be able to find a doula that kind of saw the world in the same way that they do. 
And I know that your job must be very hard. I know that the pressures and the, I don't know, the, the sort of expectations of society that are probably put upon you are probably way greater than for a lot of other people. So I just want to honor you and acknowledge that I'm happy you're in the space and I'm happy we got to know each other. And I want you to tell everybody how they can find you and maybe how they can connect with you. Yeah. And I want to thank you so much before I let everybody know that. Thank you so much for having me on, Nathan. I'm really happy that we connected as well. And yeah, like it was in a crazy way, but I feel like it was divine timing in some sort of way. It's kind of perfect, (laughs) actually, the way I see it. (laughs) So I appreciate you for having me on your platform. If you guys want to reach out to me, I'm on social media and powerful. Doula on all platforms. My website is www.empowerblackdoula.com and you can message me on there or if you want to inquire about my services or anything like that, my mentorship, because I do mentor doulas too. Oh, great. That's great. I've got somebody who just called me today and said, I need a mentor. So maybe I'll put them in touch, although they're far away from you, but we'll work it out. I have literally doula mentees all over the world. No kidding. Awesome. Wow. Well, we'll send people your way, Keisha. Keisha Lockett, thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. It was such a pleasure, Keisha, to have you on the show. Thank you so much for showing up in the world with such integrity, just being you. There are so many women out there that need you. And I thank you so much for just your presence in the world and on social media and for engaging me in a very, very respectful, compassionate conversation. If you want to find Keisha, she is the Empowered Black Doula on Instagram. You can find her work on TikTok as well. Thanks again to our sponsor, Fullwell. Get your prenatal vitamins, your men's virility vitamins. Go to fullwellfertility.com. Use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10%. Organifi, my man Drew, has put together an incredible product lineup. Go get green juice, red juice, and their gold latte. They've got seasonal flavors and varieties coming out. You want to try their gold, which is their sort of winter spice variety. Their pumpkin spice latte is just about the end of the season, so you might want to start considering getting their gold and trying that out. Go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on your purchase. Bioptimizers, Masszymes, HCL Breakthrough, Blood Sugar Breakthrough, P3OM, the Navy Seal of Probiotics, and of course their Magnesium Breakthrough. All of that is available for 10% off at bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN. And then last but not least, we've got BirthFit. BirthFit is an online community of women, by women, for women, their B community. There's nothing like it out there. If you want personalized coaching, if you're in alignment with taking responsibility for your health through movement and beyond, go to birthfit.com. If you use code BELOVED, you'll get access to their B community one month free, and it's only $29.99 thereafter. I think it's $29. It might be $24.99. I can't remember right now. But regardless, it's a very, very reasonable price for what you're getting at such an extraordinarily unique but much needed service right now in the maternity care space. That's birthfit.com. Use code BELOVED. You get one month free access to their birthfit community. Remember, nothing on this show is medical advice. If you want medical advice, you can bring me onto your care team. Go to belovedholistics.com, join my PCA, and then you get access to all of my services, including consultation, buy a package, join my collaborator program. That's still open to midwives, coaches, doulas, birth educators, doctors of all sorts. Bring me onto your team as an MD consultant that you can bounce questions off of. I can order labs, imaging. I can sign prescriptive authority agreements. Whatever it is that you need, I'm there for you. And you'll have access to my PRP, that's Patients Reverence and Presence Fertility Program, which is a 
premium fertility program where we're going to hit all of the lifestyle factors in one fell swoop, including consultations with seven different experts in the field. We've got a soma therapist. We've got an NLP practitioner. We've got a dream interpreter. We've got a medium that connects with the spirits of babies. We've got a functional medicine doc. We've got a Chinese medicine practitioner. You've got a breath worker. Like We've got the whole shebang here. And before you jump to the $15,000 price point of IVF, why not get your soil as healthy as possible beforehand? All of that, including my PRP fertility program that I just mentioned, is available at BelovedHolistics.com. Another way to support the show is continue to spread these episodes to people that you love, the people that you really, really know need to hear these conversations. I'm trying to do something very unique here. It does seem a little bit niche, but as I'm starting to hear from people out there, this is like people need this, not just that specific mother or this doula or this soon-to-be dad. Everybody benefits from these conversations. Share it loud and proud. We're trying to change the world here. So help me help you change the world, guys. Lastly, if you haven't left a five-star review, go to iTunes or the Apple Podcasts or whatever. It takes 15 seconds. Leave us a five-star review. Believe it or not, the algorithm only cares about how many five-star reviews you have. I can't explain how the metrics could work otherwise, but that's all that it seems to matter to the algorithm. So go and do that for me. It's a huge help. This was episode 99. On episode 100, we have the guest of guests, Michelle Odant, who was a general surgeon in... Harris in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. He's 92 now, and he was gracious enough to come on for my 100th episode. And we get really deep and philosophical. The title of that podcast is In Supporting Birth, Are We Asking the Wrong Questions? And you're going to love it. It's Michelle O'Dont. Oh my God, I've been fanboying since I was a resident. I love you all. Thank you for your support. And I will see you next week. It'll be the 7th of December. I look forward to seeing you all there back here at the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.